I want kids to learn how to lose. And that's one of the benefits of athletics and games. You learn how to be a good loser. You learn how to be a good winner too. But I think that is an important part of life, but not in academics. That's not the place to learn how to be a good loser. I'm your host, Anna Malikian, and before we start, please remember to visit Mindset.Zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone, to access all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at Mindset.Zone. And if you want to get the free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. Today, our special guest is Lee Jenkins. Lee is an author, speaker, consultant, and a recognized expert in improving educational outcomes. He has spent the last 50 years learning from world-class experts while working as a teacher principal and school superintendent and university professor. His mission is that every child have an educational experience that promotes and encourages the natural love of learning that they were born with while exceeding educational goals. So welcome to the Mindset Zone, Lee. Well, thank you, Anna. It is a privilege to be in your zone. <laughs> And I feel very honored to have you here. I start to learn about your work through the National Speakers Association, the Arizona chapter that both of us belong to. And I was fascinated by what you were doing. And now that we have the opportunity to speak more, I'm really interested in having this conversation in my podcast because I think we really need to amplify our possibilities for the kids because the school system is failing them. So I want to start from your own research about this or your own surveys that made it very clear that something was wrong and something could be done about it. So the research that John Hattie of Melbourne, Australia shares all over the world is called the Jenkins Curve. He named it after me. And it's simple. Ask 3,000 teachers from various states and all grade levels, what grade do you teach and what percent of your kids love school? So you take the average for the kindergarten teachers, the average for first grade, average for second grade, and you have the, the data you need for the simple graphs. It was eye-opening to me because I believe prior to collecting that, that schools really kept the enthusiasm for learning pretty high in elementary school. And it was lost in middle and high school. It was not true. We start losing a few kids in kindergarten. We use a few, lose a few more kids every year who'd have no love of coming to school to learn. Just a few more every year. The lowest grade nine ticks up a little bit in high school. But if you talk to a high school dropout, they'll say, well, the reason that it ticked up in high school is they didn't count people like me. So, but nevertheless, it's not a pretty picture. And I do want to say, having been in thousands of classrooms, I've never yet met the teacher who puts in their lesson plans who they want to discourage today. So it's not individual teachers or administrators that like this. 
It's a system we inherited. So it's almost that the system that was supposed, if this educational system was supposed to help the students to love being educated and learning, but it works the other way around. It takes the love and the joy out of it. Yes. Somebody asked me recently working in Rhode Island, what do you teach? And they wanted the elevator speech, you know, the real fast. <laughs> yes. I said, well, the basic problem we have in education is poor psychology, where teachers are told to motivate their kids to learn. And that's terrible advice. The kids come to kindergarten already motivated. Our job's to keep it. And if they've lost their motivation, instead of motivating them, we say, well, let's work together to restore you, put you back the way you used to be at five years old. I, I love that. It's almost when you said that is bringing the psychology in almost I immediately thought about a couple of Nobel Prizes that were given for in economy that were given to behavior psychologists, because what they prove is that we have to bring the psychology to economic theories for them to make sense. And what you are telling is that we have to bring what we know from psychology to the educational system, because what we are doing is not working. Not working. And so educators are numb because they're bashed so often by, you know, saying things are, you know, whatever, there's problems. And what people are saying about it, it's true, but it's not enough to say what's wrong. We have to say, okay, what are we going to replace that with? Yeah. So let's start with what is wrong. So give us a couple of examples on how are we killing, how is the system killing the love of learning, in your opinion? We do it with data. <laughs> data is used to embarrass kids and say data are like a baseball, like baseball bats. Data can be used for harm or joy. And teachers don't know how to use data for joy. But when they learn, the kids are begging for quizzes to prove that they're smarter than they ever were before. So what is data? So, okay, so is the assessments, the way that we assess and evaluate kids, that is one of the yes. issues. And even in the lower grades, they avoid using the conventional, they, they use another soup of letters instead of the ABCD. So that even like that, the way the structure on how we are evaluating the kids is what is wrong with it? What kills the love of learning? When you go into a wall, into a classroom and look on the wall, it's very common to see things that compare kid to kid. Sometimes it's a contest. I have a picture I show in my seminars of Baltimore made to look like a football field. Mm. And every kid has a paper helmet and the helmets are moving towards the goal line. Well, most of them are. There's the loser kids that aren't at the one yard line yet halfway through the year. And so every day when they walk in the class, it's, it's bold. They're a loser kid. And Carol Dweck, you know that name from her work and growth mindset. And she says, nobody ever gets used to feeling dumb. And these kids from the beginning are made to feel dumb. Now, the teachers aren't saying, not calling them dumb, aren't saying that. They, they were convinced that this contest was going to motivate kids. Well, it motivate, motivates the kids that least need it. And it demotivates the kids who most need it. Most need it. So instead of that using data to compare, you are proposing one of the things that you're proposing is changing the way that we use data. So give us a concrete example. 
we assess kids at random from what we want them to know at the end of the year. So in the beginning, the graph is low and the kids graph their own graph. And as they go through the year, they learn more and more and more of the content. It goes up until they've pretty much whatever's pulled out of the bucket at random or the year's content, they know. So that's part of it. The kids see their own growth and when they do better than ever before, we call it an all-time best mm-hmm. or shortened ATB. And ATB will be the most popular initials in the whole school because kids know when they've had an ATB. But in addition to that, we have the total up for the whole classroom. So everybody contributes to the total for the class. So kids, it's heartwarming when a kid that's struggling knows that their few points on their quiz put the class total over the top. And everybody in the room celebrating because we all had an all-time best. I like that, but I want to bring this even more concrete. So imagine lower school, they are learning to spell. And uh, what is what is the typical scenario and what you propose as doing it in a different way that makes more sense? Okay, well, we have to re- re- make the data for joy. I mentioned that, okay? Uh, another thing that causes kids to feel like that it's not worth it is they only have to know the learning for Friday, for the Friday test. And that goes all the way through medical school. You just have to know it for the test and then you can forget it. Then the kids say, this is nonsense. I don't care about that. I'm not going to play that game. Now, some kids will play the game because they know there's a, a rotary scholarship at the head of the line. If you if you can play the game well and cram well enough, you could get it. But for most, no, it's, it's dumb. It's not learning. And then there's bribery. I spoke to school administrators Monday of this week, and I and there were 400 in the room. And I said, get in groups of two, at your table. There are tables, six to eight people at a table. Write down how many incentives, which are really bribes, kids receive per day in your school. Now, multiply that by 180 school days, and multiply that by 13 years. The range of the room, real data this week, the administrators say the kids in their school district are getting between 5,000 and 20,000 bribes in their school career. Wow. I mean, think about what that does to your psyche. I'm just bribed, bribed, bribed all the time. As a mother and with a daughter, I'm guilty of that because sometimes we don't know what else to do. So, But I still want to visualize what you are describing because it's so important. So I remember when my daughter was in lower school um, that she will come with a list of uh, spelling words that she had to know by Friday for the Friday testing. She's like me, she has dyslexia, so it was always very challenging. She has a great memory, but it's a challenge, the spelling. And what you describe is, is totally true. She will learn to do the, the test and then she will forget. Right, right. So, okay, so since you gave up spelling... Let's talk mm-hmm. about that example. It's one of the easiest ones to understand. First grade, that's where spelling does start. Typically, there's, there's 150 words, words for the year. So the first week of school, the children and the parents are given the, the list of 150 words for the year. Great. This is the way of doing, the alternative of instead of every yes. week, yes, it is. Uh, give like five to 10 and test it on Friday. Instead of that, in the beginning of the year, you know the goal is 150 words that we want you to learn how to spell well. And the word, the, the word list is here. Yes. Okay. So they got that. Then the teacher writes all the words on a little index card or something and puts them in a bucket. 
Okay, so it's time for the spelling test on Friday. The teacher's got this bucket underneath her arm, and she goes around the room and pulls out a word out at random, and that's the spelling word. Okay. Sets it aside, pulls out another one, sets it aside. Twelve. That would be, that's the sample size we would okay. use. Uh-huh. Okay. How many did the kids get right the first week of school? Very Zero, one, two. Yeah. Okay. And, and do they feel badly? Yeah, a little badly. You know, they'd say, well, you're not supposed to know these. You're just starting first grade. Then the next week, well, first of all, those 12 words all go back in the bucket. Meanwhile, the teacher's teaching the words, not the words that were drawn out of the bucket, but she's got a logic order to teach it. Mm-hmm. Week two, 12 words put out of the bucket. Half the kids in the room will do better the second week than they did the first week, and they get their first all-time best. Yeah. I've been in rooms in October, and I'll say, is there anybody in this room that hasn't had an all-time best yet? Nope. They've all had one because they just do better than you've done before. Then, then we get those numbers from each kid because the, the kids' work is not displayed on the wall. It's in a data folder in their desk. What goes on the wall is like a scoreboard at athletics. It's the total for the whole class. Love it. And the class is graphed, and they get to see their class is getting smarter and smarter and smarter. And it's fun. Or they say they can, oh, what is the word that is going, that is like a suspense? What is the words that are going to come this week? Will I know it? Will not know it? But it's a more playful thing. It's playful. They love it. And they like it even more if the teacher goes over with the bucket and says the kid pull a word out. And so then they like being a part of the random. Yes. And for other side, it's more, it's more real, obviously, because in our day-to-day in our world, is that, or you say, is that the randomness that happens? So it's more, even more prepare them to the reality out there. We don't know what we have to read or what we have to, but we are going to be learning along the process. Yes, they love it. So individual children often write their uh, name on a, a shape, a feather shape, or a, you know, when they have an all-time best. And you'll see them in the hallways, and there are thousands of them. And every kid knows where their little, their all-time bests are. They know where theirs is. And the last day of school, when the principal says you can t- all take your all-time bests home, they have no trouble finding all of them. They know where they are, and every kid has some. Wow. Can you give us an example like that, for instance, for math? Because math is like things built from, you have to learn the basic concepts first. You cannot tell in the beginning of the year, okay, are you all the concepts and take them and thread them because there is a certain order that you have to learn. It's the same thing. Here's the list of the math we're going to learn this year. Mm-hmm. That's it. Here's, here's your list. And we're going, to, we're going to quiz you every week on random problems. And, and the teachers will use the word review and preview. Well, that's interesting. You missed a preview question. Well, of course, I haven't taught that yet. It makes them want to know. It makes them pressure the teacher to teach more. An Oklahoma science teacher, grade seven, he said, he told the kids on Friday, we're going to study rocks next week. They applauded. He said, kids never applauded for rocks before. Why did they applaud? Because rocks kept coming up on the quizzes. They wanted to know. Wow. Interesting, because... Then they 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 become more is the desire of wanting to solve that puzzle is the desire of wanting to know what is this strange thing that I don't know what it means and I'm going to get information and now it makes sense right and it's not graded we score the quizzes of course that's, that's how you add it up you have to score it to add it up but it's not a grade they know they're safe with this system the end of the trimester there is no grades. Well, I'm not saying there's no grade. So let's go back to spelling. Yes. Okay? This, in that scenario, 
let's say that it's a school that does require grades in spelling in the first grade, okay? And the quiz on 12 a week, and the report card comes out at nine weeks, okay? Well, at nine weeks, you're only supposed to know a quarter of the words. So three right is a perfect paper. So three would be an A, and two right would be a B, and one would be a C, right? Almost every kid in the room's got three right at least by nine, week, nine weeks. Yes, and that makes sense for me. And so all of them should have A's. But that takes us to another thing in the educational system that is, I'm originally from Portugal and think of that system was not used there that I cannot understand is the, the assessment on the bell curve. Yes. That for me doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. It's, a, it's what the bell curve means is that the teacher doesn't know what they want the kids to know at the end of the year. So they just throw out a bunch of questions. And if you happen to get them right, then you get the A. And if you happen to miss them because you studied the wrong thing, you get the F. And even if you work really hard, then you are really doing really good. But if there are other kids that are doing very, very, very good, you are still can fail because you get in the sides of the curve. Yes. Yeah. And so when teachers make that list for the kids to know at the end of the year for all subjects from kindergarten through 12th grade, they're told put no trivia on the list, only put essential. Okay, tell a little bit more, give an example. Okay, this is my favorite example. Kids in grade five in the United States are told to memorize states and capitals for the yes, year. Yes, I remember that okay. <laughs> from my daughter, yes. Okay, that is trivia. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to know the capital of New Hampshire, look it up. Yeah. But um, you can say to these kids, What's the capital of Nebraska? And they'll tell you it's Lincoln. Then you show them a blank map of the United States and say, show me where Nebraska is. They have no clue. So they've memorized the trivia, but they don't know the basic. What's the basic? You need to know where the states are if you live here. Yes. Okay. And so there's no rule to know what's trivia and what's essential, but you have to think it through. And you can't have that many chapter tests all through the year without the chapter tests having a bunch of trivia in them. Mm-hmm. You actually can't get a bell curve unless you throw a bunch of trivia in it. If it's all essential, then everybody should know it. Yes. But to get a bell curve, you throw a bunch of trivia into it. I really think that this conversation is so needed. And I think even in adult education and the, is the thing how to say, how can we, because we want lifelong learners in the, our world nowadays, it's not that uh, we can say, okay, we go to college, we learn a certain thing, and then we don't have to learn anymore. That is gone for no, many, right. for a long, long time. And, and even every time the pace of change is so fast that we really have to be skillful learners and hopefully enjoy that learning process. So are there many schools that are adopting what these new approaches and experimenting with these new approaches? How are you spreading the word of this and what is, which schools are being more open about it? You know, um, I don't know how to tell you which schools are more open. They have to hear about it first. So let's take this. I mean, I did an online course. Somebody in Rhode Island heard about it, took the course, became the, was a teacher, became the principal, invited me to come in. I've been going there for four years. So then what is the acceptance? The acceptance initially for teachers is the minority think it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And the reason is they know that administrators bring an idea in and in two years, nobody's ever heard of it. It's like the flavor and of the man. It's a new idea. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. 
So you can't blame them for saying, eh, who cares? This guy's not coming back, you know? So I was just there earlier this month and elementary was going really well. They were doing it with math. Middle school, I tell you, some of the best I've ever seen in the country. And acceptance, now various degrees of proficiency, but acceptance. High school was more difficult. I would say there was a majority in high school, but there's some strong resistance. And it has to do with the bell curve. If you've built your career pressuring kids to get grades and you brag on how many you flunk because you're tough, you don't like this idea because your personality and your reputation is based on being macho. And now somebody wants every kid to be successful. And the, there is so many ways of rationalizing that, oh, life out there is not like that. We have, they have to develop thick skin. They have to learn about this. They have to, so there is so much excuses that they can give at that level that really can prevent them to try something new. Yes, right. And I do want kids to learn how to lose. Oh, tell me more, tell me more about. I want kids to learn how to lose. And that's one of the benefits of athletics and games. You learn how to be a good loser. You learn how to be a good winner too. But I think that is an important part of life, but not in academics. That's not the place to learn how to be a good loser in academics. I like that because I think in the real world, when we are in our professional career, we really, we have this in avoidance to failure. Losing is failing. So we have this avoidance to try something that we are not good at because of fear of failing. And that is what prevents many people from thriving because part of any success when we look back is okay, we fail what we learn from it and then what we can do differently. I always like, I like the reframing. There is no failures, just more information to learn from. So you see a place for that in your system, uh, but it's done more through the athletics and th through other experience that they have in the school environment. Okay, let's just take the graphing that we talked about. They do not have an all-time best every week. Yeah. We're doing them 28 times a year. That's seven times a quarter. So out of the 28, the typical kid will have seven to 12 all-time bests. Mm -hmm. They have to work for it. But when it's not, when they don't get an all-time best, well, it was bad luck. Mm -hmm. Or I should have known that when it came up twice already, and I can't believe I didn't remember it, you know. But they are getting some failure in there, but it's a short-term failure. With faith, I can get an all-time best in the future. That's different than the bulletin board that shows you're a loser kid and you haven't gotten to the one yard line yet. And there's no hole. Because some kids are already at the, already have a touchdown already. Several kids. And some are close. And I haven't gotten the one yard line. I'm a loser and I have no hope. Wow. This is absolutely fascinating. And I'm thinking how to apply this even to the adult continuing education and training, because there is a lot also the thing you have to, is the certification to get that. Most of the time, it's just checking the boxes, so many levels. But how can we make it in a way that preserves that love of learning and people really take the benefit out of that? It's really important. You know, this works with the adult classes also. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. It was in Oklahoma. The professor was teaching the research methods course for students from every academic discipline. 
So it didn't matter what they were getting their master's degree in, they had to have his course. He taught the same class on Monday night and on Tuesday night. So he taught it for a number of years. And if students couldn't be there on Monday night, they would always say to him, you know, I'm sorry, but I've got this thing going on and I can't make it. I won't be there Monday night. He said, well, okay, you can't be there. What you can do about it? Well, when he started this process and you add the total up for the whole class, they didn't want to be absent because they'd let down the team. So if they couldn't come on Monday night, they said, is it okay if I come on Tuesday night, take the class, take the quiz, and then you'll transfer my number back to my Monday group? He said, sure. That's adults. They're working on their master's degree, and they didn't want to let their team down. Yeah. And they are recovering that joy of learning and learning more. I love this. So how can people learn more about you and your work? Well, the website is LTOJ. LTJ. Does it represent something, LTOJ? There's a couple of things to say with it. One is lead to joy. We want everything we do in learning to lead to joy. Mm -hmm. If there's another meaning, and you mentioned the bell curve, when we do these graphs, the bell curve is in the middle of the year. So in the beginning of the year, when everybody doesn't know it, you get an L-shaped graph if you're looking at a histogram, because the bell curve, of course, is a histogram. At the end of the year, we want a J-curve. So it's L to bell to J over the course of a school year. But it's also that we want to just lead to joy. That's And sometimes I think teacher is the wrong word because it sounds like you're supposed to teach. Actually, you're supposed to lead the learning. Now, sometimes we lead the learning by teaching, but there's a lot of ways to lead the learning other than physically teaching it. So we want to lead to joy. I love that. Lead the joy. So L to J.net. I will make sure that that goes also in the show notes. Please keep making a difference out there in the world by speaking about this because absolutely we need to change how schools are doing things because we need to love learning as much as possible. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I appreciate the invite and the time. Thank you for listening. And remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get a free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world. Mm -hmm.